All right, open up with me to Exodus 36. We're going to pick up in verse 8 tonight, and our aim is going to get through chapter 38. And I know that sounds like a lot, but a lot of the things we're looking at tonight, we looked at previously in Exodus. So we'll touch on some of those things and see some, some new things as well. We're basically going to see the things being built that the, Moses got the plans to build and told them to build. Now we're going to see them being built tonight. And just... Uh, and make our way through here with a lot of good encouragements and, and so forth. Uh, a couple of announcements, prayer tomorrow at noon at the church office. I invite you to come join us. Uh, this Sunday, we have Pancake Sunday. That's third Sunday of the month. We always generally do that, always free. So come out and be blessed with breakfast before or after your service you come to. Um, Glad Tidings Evangelism team, that's the meeting for that Sunday after the third service. So if you Sign up for that. You want to make that meeting. It's at the church office. And if you want to be part of that, you can still sign up tonight. And then in a couple Saturdays, call any days coming up, October 21st, uh, outreach out in, in uh, Sunken Gardens. And then the next day, there's a baptism. I know we've talked on all this stuff. Just want to throw it out there again. And then the 29th of October is our foundations class and uh, women's retreat. They're the first weekend of November, if you want to learn more about that. Hopefully, there'll be someone at the table tonight, and I know it's going to be a great retreat. And then lastly, our harvest party, well, two last things, harvest party, uh, Friday, October 27th, coming up quick. Uh, We need helpers with that. If you'd like to serve in a booth or one of the bounce houses or just set up or clean up, uh, hopefully someone will be at the table tonight out there in the patio or in the foyer. And if no one's out there, you can put your name down and someone will contact you. And then I'm real excited about this, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, and hopefully next Wednesday we'll finish up the book of Exodus, and the Wednesday after that, October 25th, uh, John Plants, who we've had here a couple times before from Friends of Israel, is going to be sharing with us, and um, I'm, I'm just kind of bummed because they're not going to do music this time, usually his wife and a couple other people are with them, and if you are with them last, last time, they did bluegrass, and listen, I'm not a big country bluegrass guy, but those guys got they got down and really worshiped the Lord. I mean, it was just really, it was a huge blessing. So I'm kind of bummed out. Maybe we'll get him up here and he can play a couple songs. But John, uh, he, he, he's a traveling uh, a minister, and he also works with Friends of Israel. And so he's going to be sharing and talking about a lot of things going on in Israel today. And uh, just always has a, just a phenomenal job. He's coming from Canada, not just for us, but he comes down through the States. And now we're now we're on the circuit, so we're excited about that. So that's, again, October 25th. And then, again, just a uh, reminder with the pre-orders for, for meals, just, just uh, the more we know ahead of time, that just helps us that, and you guys know where to take care of that out there on the patio. So, again, we come here to 36, and last week we, we looked at the first seven verses, and once again, uh, we just talked about these, yes? Um. Well, harvest party candy. So, yeah. <laughs> it is the 27th. There, there's out in the foyer, there's a box out there. And you can just, yeah, dump, dump it right in there. So, yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. Next year, we'll probably be on the 31st because it's kind of designed to be an, an alternate to that as well as just not that. So, um, anyhow, yeah, right out there. So, we did see... Um, Last week, once again, that call uh, to, to these gifted artists, these artisans to come and to begin to take the material that the people of Israel were bringing 
to build the tabernacle, the furniture, the altar, and so forth, the incense, the oils, as well as the garments for the priest and so forth. And the call had gone forth. They began to bring those things, and it came to the point where they had to stop them because they had an abundance. And we even talked about not just stocking up things for the sake of stocking them up, that as Christians, God gives to us, yeah, there's a place for savings and so forth, but we want to be a distributor of the things of God. And they said, we have plenty here. And so the people were refrained. And we rejoice in the fact that it was just a few chapters earlier that they had to be restrained from their sin. And as they had really repented from that, now they had to be restrained from their giving. And so, you know, these people had issues for 40 years, but there were also highlights and there were a lot of good things that happened along the way as well. And then we also, again, looked at the, the, the artist and the Lord wanted those whose hearts were stirred. And we talked once again about just giving, whether it's with, you know, at our finances, our time, our talents, that we want to give with a heart that's been stirred. We want to give out of a loving heart, not of a heart that's, you know, got a grudge in it or out of, uh, you know, a necessity in the sense of forcing people. And we even talked about how, you know, Paul told Timothy to stir his heart concerning the gifts that he had been given and, you know, what that we need to make sure daily our hearts are being stirred before the Lord. I mean, this warfare that we are in, listen, it's not going away until we go to be with the Lord. And your flesh that wages war with your soul, it's not going to go away till we go to be with the Lord. It's a daily thing, a daily thing of drawing near to Him, asking Him to fill our hearts fresh with the Spirit of God, being in the Word of God, um, you know, what? A, a daily dying to self, uh, reading John Owen's book, one of the Puritans, The Mortification of Sin, just started that. And just phenomenal, just talking about being alert and daily wanting to have our hearts stirred and daily, you know, dealing with temptations and refraining them from them and so forth. So we talked about that last week. Now let's pick it up in verse 8 because now we're going to actually uh, see the, the work taking place and we're going to get a lot of rehash of, you know, the clasp and the hooks and the poles and the acacia wood and the gold and the silver and so forth. And we'll comment a little bit on that. We'll review a few things and, and we'll just take a chunk at a time here. So in verse 8 it says, Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. With artistic designs of cherubim they made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits. The width of each curtain, four cubits. The curtains were all the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edges of the curtain, on the selvage of one set. Likewise, he did on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain, fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain, on the end of the second set, loops held one another, uh, cur one curtain to another, and he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasps that it might be one tabernacle. Now, again, what we're going to see, the plans were given to Moses. The word went out, the gifts came in, the artisans' uh, hearts were stirred, and now we see them building the tabernacle according to those plans that were given. And that's one neat thing about seeing a lot of this you know, it repeated, we see the plan was given, and then we see that it was executed according to the plan of the Lord, according to the word of God. 
And we've talked a lot about this, how we open God's word and we see what he calls us to do and how he calls us to do it. And by his grace and mercy, we want to go out and walk in the manner that God has called us to walk in, according to the scripture. You know, we want to come together in fellowship and, and make it our aim to have church and so forth, according to the scripture. And, uh, you know, work and interact in and, and our marriages and singleness and raising kids and so forth, walking in the plans given to us by God through his word. Now, we see colors and different things coming through this. We see, once again, blue, purple, and scarlet. And we talked about, you know, there's a lot of ideas behind these colors, uh, meanings, and so forth. Uh, And we need to be careful not to, you know, go too deep in that because sometimes you can start reading things into the text that are not there. But a lot of people have, you know, suggested different things with these colors. Uh, I saw kind of a new one the other day, but I'll just read. Someone suggested that blue represents the sky, which puts forth the idea of separation between us here and God in heaven, the idea of a veil and a curtain, because they're building these curtains. Uh, They suggested that purple, which is red mixed with blue, represents the blood of the Lord to remove that curtain, and then scarlet is purple mixed with uh, orange, which is fire, and that's the way that sin's burned away. So, you know, again, there's a lot of ways of looking at this. We know, though, throughout the tabernacle, the furniture, what was done, we absolutely do see pictures of Jesus. We see pictures of the cross and so forth. Uh, another quick note here, and we talked about this earlier, the, the artisans, there were designs of cherubim on the curtains, and we'll see that in other places uh, throughout the tabernacle with some of the furniture and so forth. And God absolutely wanted this to be beautiful. And we want to be good stewards, and absolutely you can cross the line in, in putting too much of emphasis on visual things, but at the same time, Listen, there's nothing wrong with striving as well to keep things, you know, clean, keep them orderly, uh, try to bring a good appearance, you know, obviously within being good stewards and not getting into vain things and so forth. I mean, these were artists that had been blessed with these artistic gifts from the Lord. And again, God wanted to take these artists and use them to not just put stuff together, but these were very intricate and very beautiful. And no doubt it was in part to to paint a picture of God's beauty and to remind us that our God absolutely is light. There's no darkness in him. He is a beautiful Lord. Also, another note about the cherubim angels. Um, I know sometimes with the cherubim angels in particular, people will say, uh, you know, oh, here's a picture of a cherubim and they, it's a baby in diapers, right? That's not a cherubim angel. These angels were actually warriors. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder whoever came up with that Uh, if they weren't getting some inspiration from below to kind of maybe belittle God's warrior angels and spiritual warfare and everything else to even kind of make light of of just God and heaven and angels and everything that's going on, just like he does with Satan, you know, making him a character with some horns and a pitchfork and a long tail. And, you know, you draw cartoons and so forth of these types of things. And people start getting their hearts hardened just to the fact there's a God and there's a judgment and there's an eternity and a warfare and a battle over your soul. So just know that a cherubim wasn't an angel in diapers. So hopefully there's not a picture of that in your Bible, you know, next to to that verse. And then again, the curtains, you know, we already mentioned the idea of, of separation. And we'll talk a little bit more of this as we get deeper and we'll see how far we get tonight, you know, at the suggestion of... The, the, the curtains, in part, being where the Levites could enter in. The other people were on the outside. And, 
you know, the Holy of Holies where the high priest only went through once a year. And it really, those curtains were there to show them in a way they were sinners and they were separated from God and the sacrifices were brought uh, on, on their behalf knowing they needed their sins atoned for. And again, that was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ who's broken down the wall of separation. In fact, Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation. And that wall is talking about the separation between Jew and Gentile, the wall of separation between us and God as well. The Lord is the one that tears down those curtains, tears down those veils, and he's the one that laid down his life for us, that ultimate sacrifice, you know, at the paying the price for our sins, the bias grace through faith in him, we have salvation. And then one other note on this, and again, it's a it's something that recurs through all this. We see the clasps, we see the loops and so forth, and we know that this unified the tabernacle. I mean, if you built all these parts and you didn't have the clasps, you didn't have the loops and so forth, this thing was going to fall apart. I mean, have you ever built something, you know, you get it out. The other day we put this storm door on our house, and I'm like, oh, this is easy, and then I open the box, and there's just like parts fall everywhere, you know? And my aim is always to make sure there's no extra parts because the parts hold it together. And by the grace of God, I got done and there were, no, there were no extra parts and the door is still working and so forth. But imagine if this thing didn't have those clasps and those loops, it would, it would blow over very easily. But as it was unified, it, it made it strong, uh, as it, it, it made it to be able to withstand, with, with, withstand storms and so forth. And we'll see more aspects of that in this tent, but... Listen, it, it unified him. It unified it together. And we need to know tonight that in Christ Jesus, we've been called to u- be unified. We've been called to strive to walk in unity. But we got to understand that unity comes when, first of all, we walk in truth. And real unity is always rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know there's a lot of people today striving for unity, which in and of itself can be okay. The problem is a lot of times there's a call to unify but not to unify in truth and not to unify in the gospel. And when we go for that, now we're putting unity above the Lord Jesus Christ and unity above the truth of the word of God. And if we unify with other groups, other men that are not walking in truth and not proclaiming the gospel in a way, we're now not unified with the Lord to a degree and so forth. And so listen, if, if we're preaching the gospel here by, and by the grace of God, you know what we are and we'll continue and you know what, the, the church down the street is doing that, and the one in the next town over, and on the other side of the continent, it's the preaching of truth, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, is the thing that unifies the church. And when all these actions and activities try to bring unity, listen, if we would just begin to preach the gospel with passion and conviction and bring everything back to Jesus, you would see supernatural unity that would take place that would be... Uh, brought together by the unction and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, it's my prayer that we will see that, at least at some level or some degree. Uh, and praise God for where it does exist. And, you know, like even a brother like John Plants coming from Canada who preaches and proclaims the gospel. And, and uh, you know, there, there's other fellowships absolutely do as well, but it seems like they're becoming more of the exception than uh, the rule today, which is unfortunately uh, a a fulfilled prophecy and, and so forth. Well, notice verse 14. And he made curtains of goats here for the tent over the tabernacle, and he made 11 curtains. 
The length of each curtain was 30 cubits. The width of each curtain was four cubits. The 11 curtains were of the same size. So we see order with the size. Just if you're not familiar with this earlier, a cubit is generally considered a foot and a half. So if you want to figure all this out later on, you're welcome to do that. Or you can look in a commentary and it will give you all the breakdown. But verse 16, he coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is the outermost of one set, the 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set. He also made 50 bronze clasps to couple the tent together that it might be one. And again, that picture of unity, that picture of oneness that God wants for us with him and one another in Christ. In 19, he says, then he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and covered and a covering of badger skins above that. So this tabernacle had layers, the inner layer it had a layer of goats here, and then the outer area was uh, badger skin. And you got to remember, this thing was brought through the wilderness for 40 years, and then it would be quite a long time before a, a temple was ever built. And uh, I don't know if at some point they, if they just continually repaired this thing, or if, you know what, another one was built according to the same specs here. But this thing was designed to endure and to be torn down. It would be put back up with the goats here, the badger skin. The badger skin would make a a very robust, durable outer covering. And again, we look at this and we can see pictures of Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to know that in Christ Jesus, he's your covering tonight. The Lord is your refuge. By grace through faith in him, we are covered by the blood of the lamb And listen, there is nothing more durable than the blood of the Lamb. The Lord will see you through. The Lord absolutely, you know, it is going to bring you through every storm that comes your way as you simply rest in Him and put your eyes on Him. And maybe tonight you're in the midst of the storm. Well, as you think of this picture of this tabernacle with goat's hair covered by badger skin, don't get any weird visual thing, but just know, listen, you are under something even greater than that, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are covered by him, we are washed by him, and we have promises from him that are yes and amen, that will never leave us nor forsake us, and he's going to see us into all eternity with him, and that's good news. Now notice verse 20. And for the tabernacle he made boards of acacia wood standing upright. The length of each board was 10 cubits, the width of each board a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. And he made for all the boards of the tabernacle, and he made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, 40 sockets under each of the boards. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the back corner of the tabernacle, verse 29. And they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. And he made both of them for the two corners. And there were eight boards of sockets uh, and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. He made, and he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, Five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle. Five boards uh, of the tabernacle on the far side, on the far side westward. And he made the middle bar pass through the boards from one end to the other. He overlaid the boards with gold uh, and 
and their rings of gold to be holders for the bars and overlay the bars with uh, gold. Um, Mentioned in prayer, we went camping this summer up by Petaluma and that area up there, and um, we have a 16-man a, a tent for, uh, for six of us, which actually is probably the more appropriate number, because if you got put 16 people in that thing, oh my goodness, it would, it would be insane. Um, but it was the second time we'd used it, and, you know, we open it up, and the tent's there, and we have the tarp for the floor and all this stuff, but could you imagine if we opened that thing up and there were none of the poles to erect it? It, it, would, just be, it would just be material laying there on the ground. And so those poles were taken, and praise God, they're color-coded so you can put them all together and so forth, and it held it up. And, and you know, the wood here and the tenons and the sockets and the bars uh, again, it held up the tent. It brought it together. And notice here in all this, there's a lot of wood being used, a lot of acacia wood, which is a, a hardwood, a solid wood. And, and again, I, I don't want to stretch this or read too deep into this, but when I think of wood, I think of trees. And when I think of the trees, you think of trees, you think of the cross of Calvary. You think of Jesus who was hung on a tree for us and became a curse for us. And is not the cross of Calvary, Christ's death and resurrection, it holds everything up. I mean, if... if, if as Paul said, if Christ was not resurrected from the grave, then we are foolish people. We should eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow we die. But it's Jesus that fulfilled all these things pointed to Jesus. All these things pointed to the Lord, and Jesus fulfilled all these things. Again, going to the cross and his resurrection, and he holds everything up, and the work of the cross is what grafts us in, you know what, and absolutely that's the thing that holds up our faith, that makes our faith legitimate and so forth. We know that we know we are right with God through the work of the cross of Calvary. Now notice verse 35, and he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. We see those colors again. And fine woven linen, and it was worked with an artistic design of cherubim. And so once again, we see cherubim in this. And he made for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and their hooks with gold. And he cast four sockets of silver for them, And so now we literally read about the veil that separated the holy place uh, from the holy of holies. And we've talked about this. I won't read it again tonight, but in Luke 23, 44 down through 46, we know that when Jesus was there on the cross, when he had committed his spirit to the Father, when he said it is finished, which was the declaration that he has atoned for our sins, that the veil in the temple that would replace the tabernacle was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And they say that that curtain, you know, was, I, I can't remember the exact measurements tonight, but, but it was somewhere in the range of a foot wide. And it was ripped from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top to signify it was the Lord tearing that in two. That again, as Jesus atoned for our sins, it is through his life now, his death, his shed blood, through faith in him that we can enter him boldly, you know, to have fellowship with God, to obtain help in our time and need to walk with him, to abide in him, to know him. And I just would pray and I hope that all of us are finding ourselves there, you know, at, at, in our prayer closets before the Lord and worshiping him and enjoying our Lord because if your faith is in him tonight, you have full access to call on him, to worship him, to bring your prayers, your petitions, your worship before him, and he receives them. And in a minute here, we'll talk about incense and so forth, and it's a picture of prayer. Indeed, those prayers, those praises and so forth, it's an incense that comes before the Lord that absolutely blesses him and ministers to him. And then finally, verse 37, 
He also made a string for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver and its five pillars with their hooks and overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze. And so there was a door here on the tabernacle. And we, do, we know doors keep things out and doors are open to let things in. And we know who, the, who is the door tonight. It is Jesus Christ. John 10, 7, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. And listen, this isn't a stretch to bring these things together because, again, the tabernacle was about bringing sacrifice. It was a picture of their faith. They were saved like we are by grace through faith. Their faith was fulfilled when Jesus actually went to the cross. And our faith is, uh, you know what, established in Jesus who has gone to the cross for us. And he absolutely is the door. He is the only way to be right with God the Father. He's the only one that atoned for our sins. And I hope tonight that you've put faith in him and you've entered in through that door and have a perfect and, uh, you know, relationship with him in the sense of it is finished through what the Lord has done for you. And if you haven't, today's the day of salvation. I encourage you, call upon the Lord today and he will meet you where you are. Do it in truth, though. It's asking him to be your Lord and Savior, and, and, and that is meaningful. It's not something that is to be taken lightly. Now, notice here we come to chapter 37, and in verse 1 it says, Then Bezalel uh, made the ark of acacia wood. And we're going to see Bezalel over the next two chapters, however far we get tonight, just cranking out. Uh, furniture and things that would be used inside of the tabernacle. And we see, you know, it would be interesting, and I, I, I underline several of my notes where it says, he made, then he made, and he made, and then he cast, and, and just over and over and over again. At the end, we see there's some people that, help, that helped him, but we see a man here that was, called, that was gifted by God. His heart was stirred by God. He called to do the work of the Lord, and absolutely, he did the work well, and he finished the work. He completed, and man, this is a tall task, and they just got in, and they were determined, we're going to get this done, and the Lord saw it through. And we see exhortations given to, you know what, men in the scriptures, and their exhortations given to us to fulfill our ministry. You know, not to get halfway through and to get discouraged and stop, but to labor, to work, not not. Again, it has nothing to do with earning our salvation, but we are saved unto good works. And I'd have to think that in the course of this, there were probably some days when they're like, we're not going to get this done, and maybe some setbacks and so forth. But they went ahead and they did the work, and the Lord helped them to complete that. I think of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So again, and that call for us in our walk with him and to walk in what he's called us to, we got to be watchful. Endure afflictions, there is going to be some afflictions. And in all of it, we want to do the work of an evangelist. In all of it, we want to be pointing people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So verse 1, then Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length, a cubit and a half its width, a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside. He made a molding of gold around it. He
He cast four rings of gold to be set in its four corners, two rings on one side, two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them, uh, overlaid them with gold. He put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to bear the ark. He also made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits was its length, and a cubit and a half was its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold. He made them of one piece at the, end, at the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherubim at one end, uh, uh, one end on this side, the other cherubim at the end of that side. And he made the cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another. The faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. And so again, acacia wood once again being used. We talked about that. But notice here, he overlays this not with just gold, but with pure gold. And so this was gold that had been refined multiple times to get all the impurities out of it. It was a gold of great value. And the fact that it was pure, it's really a picture of, of the Lord's deity and the Lord's sinlessness. We also are reminded there was rings and poles because this thing needed to be carried. And we won't get into it tonight, but previously in Exodus, we talked about when it was carried by men on a cart and they touched this thing and one was struck down dead and then, you know what, people looked into and they were struck down dead. It's a picture of the holiness of God. And again, why we want to do things the Lord's way, things tend to work out a lot better when we do that. And then the mercy seat. And we read there in Exodus 25, in verse 22, he says, there I will meet with you and I'll speak, speak uh, with you from the mercy seat. The high priest would go on and the presence of the Lord would be on that mercy seat and the high priest would interact with the Lord, bring sacrifice before the Lord. And again, Hebrews 4, 16, for us, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy to find grace uh, to help in the time of need. And so tonight, again, a verse we look at so often, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come boldly to the mercy seat and say, Lord, we need your help. Lord, I need your help. Lord, here I am. And the boldness isn't us going in demanding and commanding. It's not us going in demanding our will. The boldness is because Jesus atoned for our sins. We know that we are washed so we can go before him and we can say, Lord, we need your help. And we can do it boldly. And I hope, I hope that you're practicing that. And tonight, maybe there's just issues going on and you're listening to the enemy saying, you can't go before him. Ever been in that place? God doesn't want to hear from you. You can't come boldly. On your best day, the only reason you can go before him is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, on your worst day, come and get help from me as your faith is in him. You can come boldly before that mercy seat, before that throne of grace, mercy and grace. What wonderful things, what wonderful words the Lord choose to use where he sits, where he resides. Again, we see the cherubim there. Note about the cherubim. They were facing each other on the mercy seat, but really they were facing the Lord, where the Lord would come. Their eyes were on the Lord, and it's a picture of them with their eyes on the Lord and them serving the Lord, being about his business, their eyes on him all the time. And indeed, that's the call the Lord has placed on us to keep our eyes on him. Now notice verse 10. We see the table for the showbread next. Uh, he made a table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with, again, pure gold. He made a molding of gold around it. He also made a frame of a handbreadth all around it. He made a molding of gold for a frame all around it. 
and he cast for it four rings of gold, put the rings on the four corners that were at the four legs. The rings were closed to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold. He made the pure gold of the utensils which were on the, te- on the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, its pitchers for pouring. And the showbread, this was be, be, be the bread that was before the Lord. And it's a picture of the word of God. Remember Jesus said, man shall not live by, every, by, by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it is a, a picture of the word of God. And then Jesus said in John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, he believes in me as everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And so again, it was a picture pointing them to the coming Messiah who would say, I am the bread of life, the word of God that we are to feast on, that we are to live on, that we are to feed our souls on, you know, drinking the pure milk of the word that we would grow, eating the meat of the word that we would abound. Uh, I heard a, a good one yesterday. It was a, uh, what do they call it? A, um, uh, a, uh, well, I'll, I'll think of it later. Now you're all in suspense and whatnot. So... It had to do with people today not getting the meat of the word in so many places, but not even uh, getting the milk of the word. Um, and it, it had to do something with combining uh, uh, evangelical with a vegan. A vegan, ve- vegan-jelical is what he called it. And he's like, the church is full of ve- vegan-jelicals today. They're not only not getting the meat of the word, they're not getting the milk of the word either. And I, I have to agree. I, I think there are quite a few... Vegangelicals, vegangelicals, there you go. I didn't practice beforehand. That's not easy to say when you're on the spot. So anyway, verse 17, and that's not a knock on you if you're a vegan, so don't take it that way, but you know what? Absolutely, we should get the meat of the word, the milk of the word, and absolutely the bread of life, amen? Now, verse 17, and he also made the lampstands of pure gold, of hammered work, he made the lampstands, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, its flowers were of the same piece. That's amazing, of one piece. And the six branches came out of its side, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. These were three bowls made like almond blossoms on one branch with, ornamental, with an ornamental knob and a flower, three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. There was a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the, knob under the second two branches of the same, a knob under the third branches of the same. According to the six branches extended from it, their knobs and their branches were one piece. All of it were, was one, ham, one hammered piece of pure gold, and he made it seven lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays for pure gold, and the ta- of, of talent of pure gold, he made it with all its utensils. And so again, this lampstand, we don't need to go far to understand what this is pointing to. Jesus said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. A picture of the light of the Lord. And then notice we see, a, we see these branches that had a picture of flowers being bloomed and almonds coming forth, a picture of fruit. And throughout the Old Testament, one of the words for Christ, one of the descriptions, the names for Christ is the branch. The branch that would come forth. As Israel would even be cut down, but a branch would come forth. 
And from that branch, again, would become the Messiah. Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So another picture of Jesus. And then notice as well, it talks here about the seven lampstands. And you can go read Revelation, how the Lord walks amongst the lampstands, the seven lampstands. I think it's a picture of the church that would be birthed you know what, in the future after this time. Now notice verse 25, it is the altar of incense. He made the incense of altar of plywood. No, acacia wood. And we're getting, we don't got any more acacia wood. Run down to Home Depot, no. <laughs> the, length, uh, the length was a cubit, it's with a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. Its, its horn were of one piece with it. And he overlaid it again, pure gold. Its top its sides all around and its horns. He made for it a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for it under its molding by its, by the two, by its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles with which to bear it. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And again, the altar is where sacrifice would be brought. Also in verse 29, he says, he also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. And so again, at the altar, sacrifice will be brought. Again, a picture of Christ who would be that sacrifice. But also in this incense that would come off it, it's a picture of our prayers. And if you want to make reference, Revelation 5, chapter 5, verse 8, later on in Revelation, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, it talks about the incense or the prayers of the saints going before the Lord as incense. And they're in a bowl, and it gets into end times things and so forth. And so we need to know when we come before the Lord as well, and our prayers are coming before Him, it's as an incense before Him that He takes note of and so forth and absolutely is blessed by. And again, you know what, when, when we're praying with a humble heart, when we're praying, you know, Lord, I need you, and, and we're not trying to come before Him in, in, in pride and arrogance. And, you know, sometimes we just don't know and be honest with God about that. Listen, sometimes I go before the Lord in prayer, and I go, Lord, I don't even know my heart right now. I don't know if, if, it's, if it's pure or half pure or part prayer in this stuff, or I'm just full of myself, but let me bring this before you. And, and, I, and I do know that that, that that is something that he absolutely does take note of and absolutely, uh, you know, um, um, does not ignore and does not, you know, let just go by. Chapter 38, let's see what we can do here. It's the altar of burnt offerings now. Uh, he made an altar of burnt offerings of acacia wood with five cubits, its length, five cubits. It's, and, and with the last piece, it had to do, I think I talked about sacrifice. It has to do more with the incense. So he's, it says in verse one, he made an altar of burning, a burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, five cubits, its width, and, uh, it was square, and its height with three was three was three cubits. He made uh, its horns on its four corners. The horns were one piece with it. He overlaid it with bronze. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, the frying pans, or the fire pans, all the utensils he made of bronze. And he made a grate of bronze network for the altar under its rib midway from the bottom. He cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze Rating as holders for the poles, he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. He put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar. 
which with to bear it, and he made an altar hallowed with boards. Uh, with boards. And again, the bronze offer, sacrifice for sin. Um, Christ is our sacrifice once and for all. We read that in Hebrews 10, where these sacrifices, they brought them over and over again. But the blood of bulls and goats never took away their sin. It was fulfilled in Jesus, and it was a picture of their faith. Now notice verse 8, and we see something now new, something not talked about before. Obviously it was told, but it wasn't recorded, and now we see them making this bronze lavar. It says, he made the lavar of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So these bronze mirrors most likely were taken from Egypt by these women, and as these women were women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting, they gave up these mirrors to make this bronze lavar. And, you know, it, there's, there, this, this is a little verse, but there's some huge things here because mirrors are fine when they're used for upkeep. You know, it, there, there's no sin in looking and combing your hair or whatever else. But they're not so fine when they are used more for vanity. And they're even worse when they're used for the occult. And these mirrors back then, especially even to this day, uh, are oftentimes associated and coming out of Egypt, these mirrors in particular would be associated with scrying, which is a type of, of witchcraft very similar to a crystal ball. And people practice this to this day. I guarantee you there's people in our own community that practice this regularly, whether they take a mirror that they can see in or even a black mirror that's very popular and as these people enter into, you know, demonic worship and occult practices and so forth, they see demons, they, uh, you know, they, they interact with uh, devils and so forth, and, and, and the devils come and deceive them uh, and, and uh, you know, absolutely uh, pose to be something that they're not and so forth. But these things were very occultic. And it's very interesting, actually, if you go back and you start studying the history of radio and TV, radio in particular, when it was first invented, it was being worked on because the, there, there was a desire to try to communicate with the dead. And, you know, then out of that comes television. And there's a lot of people that have pointed out, you know, when, when your television's off, I don't have my phone on me tonight, or when your phone's off, you have a black mirror right there. And I can guarantee you that the enemy of our soul wants to do some occultic stuff to your soul. And so we need to be mindful of what we're watching. Listen, we need to make sure that we don't just trance out and become zombies in front of whatever we're watching. Yes, you can relax. There's a place for entertainment and so forth. We're not going to go under a law. But this is a technique that the enemy would use to deceive people and try to get them brought into the occult and to demonic and so forth. And here's these women saying, we're going to lay these down you know what, use them for this bronze lavar, and it was a picture of them saying, let's get our eyes off ourselves, let's get our eyes off our idols, and let's get our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 9, we see the making of the court of the tabernacle, and uh, I'm going to issue you some homework. You're welcome to read verses 9 through 20, because we read this earlier. In fact, verse 9, it says, then he made the court of the south side hangings uh, and the hangings of the court were fine woven linen 100 cubits long and we go through this whole picture now of the outer court and we touched on this a little earlier that the, there were different you know there was the holy place the holy of holies and then there was the inner court 
that had curtains around it and an outer court. And this separated the inner court from the outer court. And earlier when we looked at this in Exodus, you know what, we read what Matthew Henry had to say about this. This was in Exodus 27. Uh, Matthew Henry, a, a phenomenal man of God, that, uh, you know, what his commentaries are, are very detailed, and uh, the Lord used him in a mighty way, and he's still using him to this day, though he's gone to be with the Lord, uh, you know, 300 or so years ago. But he said this about these, this, the, the outer court uh, and the curtains for it. He says, the tabernacle was, the enclosed, uh, was enclosed in a court about 60 yards long and 30 broad, uh, formed by curtains hung with brazen pillars, fixed in brazen sockets. Within this enclosed enclosure, the priests and Levites offered the sacrifice, and thither, which means outside, the Jewish people were admitted. These distinctions represented the difference between the visible nominal church and the true spiritual church, which alone has access to God and communion with God. And so again, it was a separation. It was a separation between the Levites who could go in and the others who could not. And we know in Christ Jesus, we're called kings and priests. And what we just talked about, we can go boldly before the Lord with the blood of Christ. But the Bible makes it very clear there is a, there is a, there's Christians and then there's Christianum. And with Christianum, there's a lot of people that really don't have faith in Christ Jesus. And they can't come into the inner court. They can't come into the Holy of Holies because they've never really put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just hanging out hanging around on the outside, saying we are part of Christianum, but they're not part of Christ because they haven't actually put their faith and their hope in Him. And if you're just hanging out on the outside of the tabernacle, so to speak, it is time to call upon the Lord and to enter in and be real with Him. And it is my prayer, and and I think about these things, that if the Lord were to come tonight, that everyone that, that comes to this fellowship will go to be with Him. It is my prayer that everyone who says, I go to Refuge Church, knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I'm not going to take for granted that just because everyone's here and they're coming to, to church and so forth, that they're born again. And this is why, in part, I preach the gospel week after week after week to equip you to take it out and to preach it over and over and over again, that if there's any who have not trusted Him, they will. And if there's any new that have never heard they will as well. Because I know this, just because you're in a, in a garage doesn't mean you're a car, right? Doesn't mean you're, you know, if you're a, if you, just because you're in a, in a shed doesn't mean you're a lawnmower. And just because you're sitting here tonight doesn't mean you're a Christian. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. Now finally, 21 through, through 31, and, and, and I think we'll, we're, we're going to make it. Wow. And you got your homework to read those other verses there. It says, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So now we see Ithamar, who was an accountant, counting the materials that are coming from the people. So the people's hearts are stirred to give unto the work of the Lord. And now we have an accountant who has gifts of administration that is counting up the material and distributing it. And then we read in verse 22, Bizalel, the son of uh, Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him, Aholiab, the son of 
Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen. And so we see the artists that made the, you know, the, the furnitures and so forth. The people gave, an administrator counted and distributed out. The artist made it, and then notice if we go back up here to verse 21, they made it for the service of the Lord. So the priest could go and use it to minister to the Lord, and then also do what? Minister to who? To the people, right? That brought all the gifts. And so we see a full circle here. And it's wonderful, because throughout the circle, we're just seeing a few names, but there's no way that, that Ithamar counted this up by himself. There were others that came alongside, and there ain't... There's no way that Bezalel made all this stuff himself. And in fact, it talks about multiple artisans. He helped oversee it. Ithamar helped oversee the accounting. And, and though Aaron was, you know, a, the high priest, he absolutely couldn't bring all these sacrifices by himself. There were others. And again, we know with the people, they gave over and above, so we want to believe they all brought and and. You, you see just a whole picture, a whole full circle, and I think you see a wonderful picture of how the Lord would want us to function as the body of Christ. Everyone taking what God has called them to do to walking it, and in all of it, God is glorified, and you go around this chain, and everyone was blessed. Ithamar was blessed when he had something to count. Bezalel was blessed when he had something that had been counted that was given to him that he can make. The priests were blessed when they can go to the altar and they could offer up those sacrifices. And then the people, once again, were blessed and that the priests were making intercession, so to speak, for their sin. What a wonderful picture. Now, in verse 24, I think we'll, we'll, we have time to read it. it well, I'll just paraphrase. As, as you go down from 24 to 28, we see a summary of how much gold was used, how much silver was used, and how much bronze was used, actually down through the end of the chapter, and then there's a few other details. Um, it's quite a description of the gold. It says the gold of the offering was uh, 29 talents, 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So I did the math. This is equivalent to 4,245 pounds of gold. So there was a lot of work. That's just the gold, not including the acacia wood, which is a hard wood. And so again, there was a whole part of the Levite, tribe of the Levites, that break down the tabernacle and they moved all this stuff. And then you had, again, the parts of the Levites that went in and offered the sacrifice. So 4,245 pounds of gold. Today, as of right now, an ounce of gold is about $1,300. I looked it up. A while back, it swelled over 2,000. So in day, today's money, this is about close to $9 million. That's a lot of, lot of, lot of gold there. And then the silver was, it's equivalent to 14,603 pounds. And as of today, silver is 17 bucks, somewhere around there. A while back, it swelled up to $50. So if you want to invest in gold and silver, it might be a good time. You can see me after, and I'll hook you up. No. <laughs> but it is true. It might be, it's a better time to buy it when it's $17 than when it's at 50 right? But based on $17, that's almost $4 million worth of silver. And then the bronze is about 10,000 pounds, 10,277 pounds of bronze. And bronze, bronze is not gold and silver. Bronze is $1.66 a pound. So that's about 18,000 bucks. 
based on today's number. But you just see all that went into this. This wasn't a small undertaking. This was a huge thing. But as he stepped out of faith, God was glorified in a huge way. And they were blessed in a huge way. And they were ministered to in a huge way. Because all this pointed to who was coming. The Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no one more huge than him. Let's uh, pray. It's about 10 till 8. If you need to get going, you can. Uh, well, you can go whenever you want. I hope you'd always stay to the end of the message. But um, if you want to stick around and pray, the kids will still, you know, be, be looked after till about 8 o'clock. And uh, so, Lord, we praise you tonight. We thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, so much truth here. So many good things. We thank you, Lord, that you tell us, Lord, that these things were the shadow or the foreshadow of the substance to come. And we know, Lord, the substance is you. We thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you that you are the light of the world. We thank you, Lord, that you are pure. We thank you that you are the branch. We just thank you, God, that you've called us to set our eyes upon you, not vain things. And help us, Lord, to be found in those places, God. Help us to be found exercising our gifts, even as we see this beautiful picture of of. of, of each person doing what they were called to do and how this huge task wasn't a task at all how you it was accomplished and how you were glorified in it and how they no doubt were phenomenally and greatly ministered through all this that had taken place God and so again Lord uh, help us Lord to, to walk in I hope and pray our faith has been built tonight Lord I hope and pray that tonight we have just uh, learned more of you and listen, tonight I've shared the gospel multiple times. We're sinners. It separates us from God. But Jesus is the bridge. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. And we are saved when we truly ask him to be the Lord of our life. If you haven't, listen, tonight, today's the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. I just can't encourage you enough to call upon the Lord and do business with him. Ask him to wash you and cleanse you to be your Lord and Savior. And then I can't encourage you enough to tell somebody to confess him before men. And so, Lord, we praise you and thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.